Ephesians chapter 2, if you are not there already. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. Let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, even as we have focused our hearts and our minds on the cross of Jesus Christ through the song service this evening, and even now as we sit here this evening, our hearts cry out, Oh, to see my name written in the wounds. For through your suffering, I am free. Death is crushed to death. Life is mine to live, won through your selfless love. This the power of the cross. The marvel of that sentence, Heavenly Father, to see my names written in the wounds of Jesus Christ. My sin is undeserving, as rebellious and sinful and weak as I am. My name is written in the wounds of Jesus Christ because of the power of the cross and the love of the Father. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, even me, believes in Jesus Christ can be saved. Heavenly Father, it is in that truth that we rejoice. It is that gospel that gives us hope. It is that gospel, that truth, that fills us with with passion and a burden for the world around us. And if not, open our eyes, Heavenly Father. Let a fire in our souls. Do a work in us. That you may be honored. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I don't know if you have a favorite Bible passage favorite chapter. I'm sure if I asked, raise your hand and tell me your favorite chapter of the Bible, we'd get lots and lots of different answers. But the reality is that it's hard to narrow it down to one chapter, to one passage. There are so many. But if I were to do that task, to try to narrow down my favorite passage of scripture, there's several Psalms that would be at the top of that list. Romans 8 would for sure be at the top of that list. And Ephesians 2 would be very near the top of that list, if not at the very top itself. It's a phenomenal chapter. Ephesians 2 starts with us being dead in our sins. And you he made alive who were dead and trespasses and sins. It goes on to expand expound upon that thought just how dead we were just how hopeless we were before it comes to the beauty of verse 4 but God 
who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. What a glorious passage. And that's not all that Ephesians 2 has to offer. You keep going through, therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, verse 11. And verse 12, that at one time you were without Christ, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without Christ, without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen. And that's not all Ephesians 2 has to offer. For it goes on, he himself is our peace who has made both one, has broken down the middle wall of separation. He has abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the, the law of, contain, of, contain, of commandments contained in ordinances. So as to create in himself one new man from the two. Thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the Christ, through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Another phenomenal passage. And then we come to our passage this morning, evening. Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. And as you work your way through this passage, you'll see three things. Brothers and sisters, in Christ, you have a kingdom. In Christ, you have a family. And this one's going to sound strange, but you'll understand it when we get to it. In Christ, you are a temple. The first two words of verse 19 are now, therefore. It's building on these phenomenal gospel truths that we've seen in verses 1 to 18. The fact that in Christ you have been brought to life. That in Christ you who were far off have been brought near. You who had no hope, now you have hope. That in Christ you who, who were hopeless in this world, now no peace. God himself. All of these phenomenal truths wrapped up in these two words, now, therefore. Because all of this is true. You are no longer strangers and foreigners. You once were. Once you didn't belong. Once you didn't have a home. Even as we saw earlier in chapter 2, verse 12. Once you were strangers and foreigners. Once you were hopeless. But now, because of all of this is true, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. But, again, one of those the great buts of Ephesians 2. But fellow citizens with the saints. 
You who were far off, you who were a stranger, you who was a foreigner, who had no hope, now you are a fellow citizen with the saints. That title is yours. You are a saint in Christ. You have the same access and the same hope. You are neither homeless nor a second-class citizen in another's homeland. But in Christ, you are at home. You belong. You are a fellow citizen. Your name is written in the same book. Your citizenship is in the same kingdom. As we saw in, in, in Hebrews chapter 12, it is a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It is a kingdom that Jesus instructs us to pray, Dear Lord, your kingdom come, and it is coming. And there is nothing that can stop it. There is nothing that can hold it back. And brothers and sisters, that is your kingdom. That's where your citizenship lies. You had no home, now you have a home. You were a foreigner, now you have a kingdom. You are a fellow citizen with the saints. You are a saint. Brothers and sisters, that is good news. That should thrill your heart. That is the news that you belong. Do you know what it feels like to not belong? Have you ever been somewhere where, where you felt left out? You were on the outside. You didn't fit in. You didn't belong. It's not a good feeling. But in Christ, you belong. You have a future, a hope, a kingdom. But not only that, you have a kingdom, but you also have a family. Not only are you fellow citizens with the saints, but you are members of the household of God. You, who are dead in your trespasses and sins. You, who were homeless and hopeless in the world. Without hope, you have a family in Christ. You are a member of the household of God and not a second-class citizen. As even Romans 8 goes on, a well-known passage. Again, one of those passages that, that I, I love. Romans 8, verses 15 to 17. Where Paul, describing this family that we have in Christ, says this. Verses 15 to 17. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. It's an intimate title. It's the, it's the cry of someone who belongs. 
In fact, lest you still doubt, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Not second-class citizens. Not second-class heirs. Heirs with Christ. You belong. You have a kingdom. You have a family. Paul's already used this language twice in Ephesians. Chapter 2, verse 18. The idea that we have access to who? The Father. To our Father in Christ. Our Father who art in heaven. What a privilege to pray, pray that prayer. That God, creator God, all-powerful, is my Father. I have access. Chapter 1, verse 5. He's predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to his, the good pleasure of his will. That same language that we saw in Romans 8 of adoption. Full adoption that brings us in with all the rights and privileges of an heir, of a son. In Christ, you have a kingdom. In Christ, you have a family. There's another illustration that Paul uses in this passage to try to get you to understand this in case that you've missed the first two. And that's the idea of a temple. In Christ, you are a temple. His temple, as will become clear, is the, the mystery that has been revealed. As we get into chapter 3, we'll see this. It is the mystery of the church. The verse 20 says here, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Built on the foundation. Those who went, who laid the foundation. Those who, who, to whom the gospel message was first delivered and by whom it was first proclaimed by whom it was authenticated with works and mighty deeds. Those who went, who laid the foundation of the church, who proclaimed the gospel, through whom God did great things, we read through Acts. As we see these apostles, these New Testament prophets, through whom God spoke, as he laid the foundations of his church. And yet Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. The cornerstone, as many of you are well aware, is the stone that is placed first. It is the stone by which all other stones are laid It is the one to whom the entire building is oriented. 
And it's Jesus Christ who is the chief cornerstone of the church. He is the one who is our peace, as we saw in verses 14 to 18. It is in him that we have been predestined to adoption, as we saw in verse 5. It is in him that we've been brought to life. It is in him that we have been brought near, and the two have been made one, Gentiles and Jews, in this church. It is all in Jesus Christ. In fact, you'll notice in verse 21 to 22 as Paul goes on to continue with this illustration of this building, this temple. He says, in whom, he starts each verse with in whom, in whom, it all orients back to Jesus Christ. He is the center. He is everything. He is the cornerstone. He is the one who gave the message to those apostles and those prophets who went out and spoke with authority. He is the Word made flesh, the Son of God, the conquering King, the suffering servant, the one to whom the law looked forward. The prophecies and the prophets in the Old Testament longed for. He is the fulfillment of all that God has promised. It is in Him, in whom, verse 21, in Him that the whole building. Again, here's the, the idea of this cornerstone to which every other stone that is laid not only is oriented with each other, but it goes back to this very cornerstone. In him, the whole building is being fitted together. Relating to Christ and to one another. And this building is growing. There's progress. It is still in work. In fact, we know that it is still growing because Christ has not come back for his church. As he promised in Matthew, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. It is growing, it is progressing into a holy temple in the Lord. You, brothers and sisters, are a stone in Christ's temple, the church. Each and every one of you purposefully placed orienting back to Christ. And it is in whom, again, Jesus Christ, that you are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Being built together, Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, all kinds of differences, and yet it is Christ that brings us together. For a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Note that it is the church, the people. It is not the building itself. It's not a physical man-made building that we meet in. That's not where the presence of God is. It is in the church, the people. It is in you, and it is in me. 
the Holy Spirit indwells each and every one of us as we know. Talk about access. In fact, Romans 8 goes on to tell us that that spirit that indwells us prays for us with words that, that we may not understand. When we don't know what to pray, he is pleading for us. What a privilege. What access, what honor is yours in Christ. What a phenomenal chapter is Ephesians 2. Death to life. From hopeless to hope-filled. From far away to in. From no family to having a family. From no kingdom being a foreigner and a stranger to having a kingdom. Brothers and sisters, I would encourage you this week, just work your way through Ephesians 2. Read it day after day after day. Meditate on these truths. See what is yours in Christ and rejoice. Let it fill your heart with hope, with strength, with boldness to go and to spread the good news of this message, this gospel message. In fact, I think, as you come to the end of Ephesians 2, as you meditate on these things, that is one of the responses that we must have, is it not? How can you see what God has done for us in Christ and not respond by going to a world that is lost and dying and boldly proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ? Let me tell you about the one who brought me from death to life. I had no hope. I did not belong, but now I do. Let me tell you. That's one of the two responses. I think the other response is to fall down and to worship this God who has saved us, who has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to bear our penalty, to give us hope and a kingdom and a family, to place us in his church, to offer, even as we saw in, Ephesians, in, in Hebrews 13 last week, an offering of the praise of our lips. Because this God is worthy. He deserves our worship. He deserves our faithfulness. So brothers and sisters, worship the Lord. Sing a new song. Praise him with everything that is in you. And then go and make disciples of all the nations.
telling them about your Lord who has brought you from death to life. We're going to close this evening. Number 575, the church's one foundation. Is Jesus Christ her Lord? 